Hey everyone, this is Jordan Van Trump, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of How I Built This Ag Business. Just wanted to let everyone know this podcast is sponsored by the company I started right out of college called AgSwag. I'm sure like many of the other disruptors on this podcast, I started this company searching for cooler stuff and better service. One of my first tasks when I got out of college was finding some cool hats for my dad's business, as my family and their friends always struggled to source quality swag throughout the years. I started this company only making a few hats and have been fortunate enough to meet some of the top business leaders in the ag industry along the way. I've worked with some of the biggest disruptors currently in the space, such as FBN, Benson Hill, Pivot Bio, Pattern Ag, Holganics, as well as many veterans such as Cargill, Nutrien, Dairy Farmers of America, Kent Corp, CGB, Helena, and the list goes on and on. Throughout this journey of providing swag to various companies in agriculture, I've had the opportunity to learn some of the best business lessons, hacks, marketing strategies, and many other things to take my company to scale and become more successful throughout the years. My intentions of this series is to bring on guests that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years to tell their story and hopefully help you build your business in the future. Hope you enjoy. As Mershman Seeds started in 1954, what started as a uh, company just selling oats to its neighbors is now a massive player in the seed business as they distribute corn, soybeans, wheat, and alfalfa. And uh, with that, I'd like to welcome Joe to the show. Hello. Glad to be on. Yeah, glad to have you. So I guess uh, let's start with how this business got started. Your dad started it back in the 1950s? He started on the farm in 1954, and, and like a lot of businesses, it got started by accident. He was a seed grower for oats for a, a small seed firm in Lee County, and it was a big oat year. I mean, the yields were tremendous. And the, the seed company says, Bill, I really don't need your production. And my dad said, you know what? Uh, my oats is pretty good. I'll, I'll bring it in, help you clean it and bag it, and I'll pay you for that. I'll see if I can sell it. So he went out and sold it to the neighbors. And uh, uh, the neighbors said, hey, that, that worked pretty good. Can we get oats from you next year? So with a $300 investment to, to buy some equipment, uh, he put a small cleaner in our machine shed and um, you know a scoop shovel, and I can't remember else, whatever he bought, but uh, sewing machine and uh, start growing oats on the farm and selling it to neighbors. And then in 1956, he kind of looked around the, the neighborhood and they had older sons and uh, more opportunity to buy land than what he did. So he decided the seed business might be the way to go. So he sold the farm and then we moved to West Point uh, in 1957. We started selling seed out of West Point and we grew the first certified seed field of, of uh, soybeans, which was a relatively new crop in 1957. And we grew from there. Cool. And how did, uh, I, th I think there's a pretty cool story I heard around how you guys kind of got your first piece of land in West Point. Yes, that's correct. Uh, when my dad decided he was going to move to West Point, he went to the mayor of West Point. Again, this is before economic development. And he said, hey, do you know anybody that would have a one acre piece of ground, you know, adjacent to town or right, you know, close to town that I could buy? And the mayor says, boy, I don't know anybody. You might try Port Madison, which was about nine miles away. Well, the parish priest, Monsignor Wagner, um, uh, heard my dad was looking for some land. So he went to one of his parishioners and said, Benny Miller was his name and said, Benny, sell this young man an acre of your land. He needs it to start a business. And back 
then, you know, uh, priests uh, were, were pretty powerful individuals in a community. And Benny said, sure, I can do that. So he sold uh, one acre of land to us in, in West Point, and we, he built the, the first seed plant we had. And uh, my dad tells a story that he was dig digging the footings on a hot summer day, and it was probably 1956 when he did that. And a neighbor came over and looked down in the, in the hole, you know, where he was digging by hand with a shovel and said, hey, Bill, you know that 90% of all new businesses don't make it. And my dad said right then and there, he was so mad. He said, I'm going to make it no matter what. Whatever it takes, I'm going to make it. And, uh, and he did. He did. Uh, my dad was always uh, a visionary. My brother Henry and I were more than ones that had to fill in the details. Uh, so uh, we, we got stuck with uh, making the vision work. Uh, but it, it turned out to be a good uh, re relationship and a good partnership with our family. And uh, I have... Uh, uh, two older sisters and two younger brothers. I'm in the middle, so I'm, I'm a compromiser, obviously. So it worked out real well for the family. And, and, and like all businesses that start up, and I, you know, I've heard some of your podcasts with some of the other seed companies, the stories are all the same. It was tough. You know, you had to fight for everything you did. I know my dad said he bought a trailer loader Timothy, took all the money he had. Guess what? He said, I sold a trailer loader Timothy. So it's just, a lot of stories about getting started it is not easy to start a business. My dad was like 23, 24 when he sold everything he had, put it into the seed business. And I can't imagine somebody 23, 24 selling everything he had, taking a little bit of equity he had and, and starting a business. But that's how it started. In 1961, we got into the fertilizer business and custom application. And that's the other portion of our business. But uh, seed has always been you know, the basis of uh, what we've done over the years. And, um, you know, we primarily focus on soybeans and wheat, but we're uh, also uh, starting to uh, develop a, a corn business. So are you still on that same piece of land, that first acre? Well, we are, except that one acre now is a building. So the entire one acre that we started with, uh, it had a seed plant and a shop and a small fertilizer plant is now one big building. So uh, I, I told my uh, kids that uh, we got like 40 acres now of land here now over the years we've accumulated that someday that should be one big building, 40 acres, if you do the same thing I did. So exactly. So, so, are, you, so are you guys just in the seed business or do you guys farm too? We do not farm. Um, uh, we, we are in the seed business. And then we also have a fertilizer wholesale business and it's located in Fort Madison um, and also in Burlington and Fulton, Illinois, across from Clinton. And we have a partner with that, a company called Yara, which is a, a Norwegian company. It's headquartered in uh, Oslo, Norway, but they have U.S. Uh, a location in Tampa, Florida. They own the facilities in Burlington and in 1999, uh, we talked to them about doing a joint venture of marketing, and then we eventually became a, a, a business. My brother, Henry Mershman, is the president of Mershman Fertilizer, and uh, we distribute uh, in about a 75-mile radius, taking unitrains and barges in, and, you know, we have about 200,000 tons of fertilizer storage, so that's, that's what he does, and it's ran out of the same office here as Mershman Seeds. In fact, Mershman Seeds does the back office work for the fertilizer side. So it kind of helps my overhead a little bit when I get charged in for, for some of the employees that work for him. 
Yeah, and those are those are two separately, two totally separate businesses. Totally separate businesses. Yeah, yeah. We own fifty percent, and uh, Yara owns fifty percent. But it's, we run it uh, here, right here in West Point, um, and uh, in the office, and with with the terminals that we have. But it's 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 a commodity business, totally different than the seed, where we're building a brand. Uh, they sell a commodity like just like the price of gas. You're going to stop the gas station with the lowest price, and and so he sells nitrogen, phosphate. And potash does not sell ammonia, but sells everything else. Huh. And you and you got started in the business when you were twelve. You said that's right. Well, I, I I actually got started much younger, but as soon as I could travel with my dad, I was his shadow. You know, from from age four on. Uh, so if, you know, back then, you know, we had two employees, and and uh, uh, if my dad he had to sell it, condition it, bag it, load it, deliver it, the whole bit. So. Wherever he was, uh, that's where I was. And uh, so I had on the job training since I was four years old. One story I can tell you when I was four years old, we we lived in a rented house because when my dad sold the farm, put all the money in the seed business, he rented a small house on the north side of town. And of course, the main highway runs through West Point. Well, when I was four years old, I, I snuck away uh, to go to work. And my mom didn't know where I was. And so she called my dad, Joe's gone. We don't know where he's at. Well, I was about a block away from the office when he caught me and I had crossed the highway, which, you know, that was big danger zone in, in uh, my mom and dad's uh, opinion. So on the spot, I, I got my butt tanned and uh, told, do not ever do that again. And when I got home, my dad didn't say anything to my mom. I got in the house first and then I got my butt tanned again. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is I was really uh, not incentivized to go to work <laughs> at a young age, but uh, I, I still love the business. It's fun to get up every morning and work with customers. We got so many new products uh, always coming. And I think one of the key things that really helped our company was when my dad met a guy named Harry Stein. And if anybody's not familiar with Harry Stein, uh, he's the premier soybean breeder in the United States, but my dad met him back in 1968. They were both members of the Iowa Crop Improvement as directors. And he said this shy young man was kind of in the corner, off in the corner and uh, and not saying too much. And my dad went over and introduced himself and they became lifelong friends. In fact, uh, they were friends until my dad died, you know, so it's like a couple of years ago, but over 50 years of friendship, many fishing trips and many discussions and we always worked with Harry on on uh, access to genetics and uh, very instrumental. Both of them were in each other's lives over those 50 some years. You guys, uh, you guys carry Stein and sell Stein seed or there is that? We, we sell Stein corn as well as Mershman corn. So we, we have the short hybrids, you know, for that trend that's starting to be very, um, you know, become more mainstream. Um, and then, uh, we, we have a, a company that we work together with, uh, our, our families called MS Technologies, and uh, that is the premier genetic uh, breeder uh, for the Enlist E3 trait, as well as there's some other folks coming online now, too. So our company is very well situated for the future. In other words, because we have access to traits and genetics in a direct uh, connection, and we have in that company, good partners and good, good folks to work with. Um, it, it, it's tough to, to be a, a seed company today. And that's because there's, 
the average farmer I hear gets six seed companies calling on them. And so, you know, I know the farmers uh, sometimes tend to treat uh, seed salesmen like flies. You know, if you had six flies flying around your head, you'd, you'd be wanting to shoot them off. And so you got to show up differently and you got to show up better and you got to work on quality and you've got to work on your um, distribution. And that and that's what we do at Mershman Seeds. We don't have to worry about the breeding. We work on production. We work on customer service. Um, uh, our software with ordering and our deliveries and basically work on the distribution point of it. Um, so we know we've got good access to good genetics and then we can, we can focus on those areas that can set us apart. You know, we, we have a internal name for the big C companies. We call them the BS companies. You know, we, we cannot figure out how they can do substitutions. You know, we don't substitute products. We do the best we can. If there is a problem, we tell them like in December, January, it's not, in March when they get ready to receive their seed. So the independent seed company, in my opinion, is a treasured resource for farmers because they work, most of them were farmers and they became in the seed business and their roots are tied directly to the farmers. And they're not, we're not, we're not focused on a number we got to meet uh, to keep everybody happy. We're focused on doing the best job that we can and we want to make a profit so we can reinvest that to make our business even better. And I think that's pretty much the goal of a lot of good seed companies. I, I know I have not met one fellow independent seedsman that I wouldn't give my billful to. They're all good people. Yeah. So are you guys mainly in? Uh, are you guys mainly in Iowa and Illinois? Well, uh, we're in the southeast corner of Iowa, uh, nine miles from Mississippi River. So we touch our our core states are Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri. But we have branched into touching Minnesota now. We're touching Indiana. We're touching Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kansas, and Nebraska. We have we have a rep uh, in Nebraska, and we have one in Kentucky. So, and we have seed distribution. We have uh, worked with a a, uh, a seed company for production in extreme southern Illinois, Olmstead, and then we also. Uh, work with the Campbell family um, at Tipton, Indiana. So uh, that allows our trucks to move product back and forth pretty efficiently, do our production as efficient as we possibly can. So where uh, are you guys wanting to keep expanding or are you guys, are you guys going to kind of like stay in that region? We'd like to stay in that region and kind of close the gaps. There's, we got plenty of acres that we could, uh, be working on. So uh, our sales team is uh, focused on that particular geographics uh, uh, so that we can get higher market penetration. And uh, and we, we are continuing to grow our company. We're a very conservative company from a standpoint, we don't want to outgrow our supply lines. In other words, we make sure we have the infrastructure in place and then we grow. In other words, we don't want, want to make sure we have enough trucks for delivery. We've got enough production to produce the seed. And uh, we don't ever want to be behind the eight ball because, you know, the seed industry is really changing, particularly on the soybean side. It used to be you, you had till May 1st to deliver soybeans because you know, soybeans weren't planted much before May 1st. Well, now they're planted anytime after April 1st. If the ground's fit, they're going to plant. So we just lost one month of production. So we have had to restructure in the last few years to go faster. We have a saying inside our company. You know, our goal is to go fishing by April 1st. In other words, we should have all the seed produced, 
and shipped and we really shouldn't have anything to do because you know farmers know exactly what they need you get it all delivered and basically we should have nothing to do so we say let's go fishing so far we have not met that goal but we're trying for it but i guess what i'm trying to say is um things are going a lot faster for farmers farmers are getting bigger and everything is just going faster and faster and faster. And seed companies that are not keeping up with that pace are going to find themselves uh, behind the eight ball. And so we we want controlled expansion, and we want to make sure that we don't unru- outrun our supply lines. Makes sense for sure. What are some of the biggest? <clears throat> excuse me. What are some of the biggest obstacles you guys face? You know, here in the last few years. Well, I, I can tell you how it's changed. My dad said. Years ago, when you you got a customer, he was he was a customer for life. In other words, he was very focused and very dedicated to your your business. And you know, we have generational customers. We have a lot of them. But today's farmer now, I mean, you take the average farmer; he's a multimillionaire by the time you figure up all these assets and whatnot. And uh, so you're dealing with a very sophisticated customer. They 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 understand numbers. They understand yield and Today, is, it is a business decision on your seed. It's no longer uh, as much a relationship business. You still do business with, with people that you care about and people that you trust. But for the most part, you've got to deliver. I think the Purdue study I saw for years and years say, quality, service, price, pick any two. Well, now when you survey a farmer, it says quality, service, price, I want all three. And that's the challenge for companies like us is how do we deliver all three because normally if you got a high quality product it's not low cost if you got high quality service it's not low cost and so that's the challenge we have is figuring out how to be more efficient how to produce and produce a high quality product with high level of service and we still service i always tell our sales rep reps if somebody buys one bag of beans from us and they have a problem with it i expect you to go out and look at that field and that is unheard of for the most part in other industries like appliances and anything else you buy, they're not going to come to your home. But a farmer never has to leave the farm. They can buy all these machinery on the farm. He can buy all these inputs, seed. I mean, they do, do not have to go to town to buy anything because people are calling on them. And they're getting bigger and bigger, and they're expecting more. So that's our challenge. Uh, that's a great perspective. I think Jordan, we've talked about that a lot with our own businesses. It's I'm with you, Joe. You used to be, if you were low cost provider, you know, you were low cost provider. Or if you were high quality, you were high quality and built businesses on relationship, you know, but I, I don't know if the internet changed a lot of that and gave everyone power to, you know, whatever it may be. It seems like every business uh, that, w- that we're invested in or the other ones, we're, we're talking about the same thing you just said, trying to figure out how to, you know, provide quality also be one of the most competitive in price and, and deliver it. I mean, it, it is tough, but, you know, like you said, the buyers are, are, are smarter, sharper. And, uh, you know, I, I just think it's, it's definitely a business decision. So I always have said that Amazon changed business forever. It used to be people would wait a little bit, but now they expect it the next day and at the worst two days. So we try to focus on, you know, whatever you want, we'll have it there the next day. And that, and we own our own trucks. We have our own drivers. We're very, very focused on two people, our salespeople and our truck drivers, because those are the two people that see eyeball to eyeball with the customer. And 
one of the things I preach at our business is constantly complacency, complacency. The number one reason why companies go broke is complacency. So every complaint that we have, every replant, everything goes across my desk. I want to see what caused the replant. Do we need to adjust our seed treatments? Our product manager and I look at every replant we look, and we have, we have required pictures of the seed See what happened to it? Did it suffocate because it didn't have lack of oxygen because of water? You can't do anything about that. I'm trying to figure out how we can put oxygen around that seed so it can go underwater, but that, that, that's a pipe dream right now. But we look at to see if the seed is dying from some type of disease that we could change our seed treatment to take care of that because uh, we get free replant. And uh, so we have an invested interest in that crop and we don't like replant and neither do farmers. So everything... You have to watch everything. And my brother's got a little sign in his office and his employee's name, they call him a micromanager. And you have to be a micromanager today. Because when complacency sneaks into your business where people won't make that phone call after five o'clock or won't take that phone call after five o'clock, generally speaking, when a customer calls, you got one minute to respond, in my opinion. Now, that's hard to do. And we don't do it all the time, but they need something. And if they don't get a response back from you in a timely ma manner, they will go somewhere else. So the speed of business is really cranked up. And I think Amazon is one of the companies that kind of change things that we expect everything tomorrow, two days at the most. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan, that's similar lessons that, uh, that you know, you're learning and going through. I, I tell them the same thing, Joe, when someone calls in, I mean, you got about a minute or two to respond or people are, you know, move on, on. next or move on. And that's how it works. So, you know, I, I agree with you totally. And it's, it's definitely where we're headed. And I think more and more. So it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I'm in agreement on the complacency too. I mean, that's, that's a tough one to battle in today's world. I think, I mean, seems like people put some goals out there and targets, they reach it and then complacency can set in uh, pretty quickly into an operation. So, yeah. How many employees do you guys have now? We have about 60 <laughs> time and part-time employees. So, oh, yeah. so, and, and a lot of them are salespeople. Um, yeah. so, um, I get, yeah, that's one of the things I really get upset if our, our salespeople are yeah. not getting out there, staying out there, staying in front of the customers, because we know there's five other companies that are, they're, they're dying for that business. So farmers have choice when it comes to seed. Um, you know, some of these, some, you know, the fertilizer industry is now combined to pretty much two or three companies. And some of the other industries are two or three companies and, if that happens in the seed business, we're going to see seed go up a lot higher than what it is right now. Right now, everybody's rolling up their sleeves, trying to sell as competitively as they possibly can. But uh, there's still a lot of competition in seed. And I don't know if any one or two companies could literally handle what it takes to be a seed business. So the independent seedsman, as far as I'm concerned, is alive and well. The core that we have left, you know, we have a little over 100 independents. Not that long ago, we had over 300. We're seeing oh, wow. consolidation in that that side of the business too. But I know, I know you you talk to the Wiffles family, you talk to um, the Peterson family. I mean, there's there's just some really good families out there that have good structure, understand the business, and they're passing that legacy down uh, to to folks uh, to run the company. And 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 that's the critical thing is not not forget. I, I, my dad. He sat in the same office that I'm in, and when anybody would walk in the door, he'd be one of the first ones to greet him. You know, where somebody walks in the door, he expected somebody to greet that person before they got 10 feet into that office. 
into our office. So he he was a good mentor and a good salesperson. And he was, I was very fortunate that he didn't micromanage me. He gave me projects and let me do them the way I wanted to. Sometimes I made mistakes. I made as many mistakes as anybody, but he was a good mentor and, and also uh, gave me, well, he never gave me anything, never gave me money. He just gave me opportunities to earn money. Even when I was 12 years old, I, you know, I worked and I, I earned money. When I was 16, the rule at our house was you had, you had, if you wanted a car, you had to buy a new one. Well, I wanted a, a Chevelle, but I could afford a Volkswagen. So I started out with a Volkswagen at 16 to pay cash for it. Believe it or not, $2,100 back in it. It was a super beetle too. It was a top notch uh, beetle. But uh, anyhow, uh, guess what? You took care of that car because you had, had your life savings into it. And uh, um, he taught a lot of good lessons uh, about uh, being conservative, how important customers are, and how uh, you just absolutely their goal, you know, in a business. So we continue those types of philosophies. And, and when I see any complacency in this business, uh, in our business, I, I get pretty, pretty upset. So uh, uh, everybody knows that don't, don't make a customer upset. Uh, we always try to figure out how to say yes. <clears throat> yeah. Customer retention is crazy important in today's world. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people are so focused on getting new customers or more market share you know how they're going out, coming in and going out the back door, Joe, as fast as they're coming in the front door. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a bit of a problem. And, you know, a lot of businesses really have to buckle down and focus on that customer retention. Uh, but, you know, I think it's just, just different, different CEOs, different owners, sometimes focus differently, but yeah, I, th I think you got a great approach. Well, Rod Ostis, uh, you know, sales trainer up there in Olivia, Minnesota, he always taught us that 20% of your customers you lose every year. Either they expire, they retire, or become dissatisfied. But that's true for every company, not yeah. just your company. So there, there is huge opportunity every year for any seed company to get new business because there's always things changing on a farm. So we always tell our salespeople, you know, you got to get back the 20% you lost before you can increase. So yeah. And so, cut, like you say, if you can make that number 10% or 5%, but we always have good customers that retire or unfortunately pass away. And, and uh, we have an older clientele for the most part. Um, so consequently, that, that happens. And I know this week alone, I had like uh, three different uh, uh, deaths, you know, either an employee or, or a, a customer. Or, and then, you know, obviously we have to address that. So uh, it, it's an ever-changing world. And that's probably another thing my dad instilled in our business. We love change. When I used to ride with him to Iowa State University when we were getting uh, certified varieties back then, he would take a different route back because he didn't want to see the same scenery. He loved change. And I think that is one of the things that you have to instill in your in your organization that you're focused on change. In other words, change is, if you accept it, it can be a very positive thing. Yeah, we've done some dumb things over the years. I know one time I went out to Indiana with my dad. We were looking at this uh, seed exciter, and they would take the seed and go through a magnetic field. It's supposed to inject uh, uh, the ability to seed, like supercharge it and whatnot. And we tried that, but we didn't see the yield results. But anytime anything was new, we were out looking at it. And we love new. I mean, we're introducing power core, power core corn this year, which, you know, it has uh, 
some real distinct advantages for uh, post-emergence, you know, with, uh, with uh, Liberty Roundup uh, 24D and, and uh, also Assure. And uh, uh, also, you know, it's got two above ground uh, traits in it. So uh, we love new. And um, our product manager, we got a really, I would say, a real strong team of young people coming into this company. And uh, guy, the older guys in our organization, Turk and Skip and I, we're 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 kind of standing, taking a step back, and letting these younger guys uh, take care take care of the customers. And um, and you know, so we have a plan for the next 20, 30 years here at Merchant Seeds. Yeah, good. You got any kids or grandkids in the biz? Or I have I have one son that's in the business. He, he's a special needs, but he he works where he can. Uh, and I have a daughter, but she's she's not in the business. She's kind of full time mom, and I have two grandchildren. So I'm hoping one a couple of grandchildren are interested in coming back to the business. But right now they're uh, nine nine and and eleven, so they got a got a, got a few more years before they get excited about the business. By that time, I was already excited, but uh, it's a little different today. And they live twenty five thirty miles away, so they don't get to see me every day. Yeah, for sure. So that'll be fun. Does uh, does your brother have kids in the business on the fertilizer side? On the fertilizer side, he actually has uh, two stepchildren, and uh, one of the the uh, Alex is our videographer, so uh, he works in the marketing. Uh, so we have one of those, uh, and then I also have a nephew. Uh, right now, he's in logistics. So yeah, we have we have some uh, third generation folks yeah. uh, in the business. Good deal. Was was your mom involved in the business growing up, or? Well, actually, she was. Uh, you know, my mom did a lot of the hard work. She had to sign the personal guarantees for the loans when we started the business. But she uh, she did uh, a lot of our printing. She would come in and do. We had a small printing press, and she she printed uh, a lot of our postcards and did a lot of our mailers and and helped wherever she could. Now, in later years, my mom got the mail, and we always said she had the most important job, getting the mail. And you might say, well, why would the mail be the most important job? Well, she brought the checks from the mailbox to the company so we keep this place open. So well, we always thought that uh, she had the most important job because, you know, as you know, cash flow in any organization, whether it be a farm or a business, is, is the lifeblood that you have to have to keep it going. So, so and then I had uh, my sister, Jean, that she was involved in the summertime. She's a school teacher. Uh, she would um, help us with the grower point of sale uh, things that came in during the summertime that are required by a lot of the trade suppliers. And I had a brother, George, uh, that worked through high school and college, but then he, he started in the sales territory and then decided to be an entrepreneur and started his own business and uh, down towards uh, Springfield, Illinois. So for the most part, the entire family was involved in any way they could. I know we used to do mailers and we would take them, take them home at night after school and we'd all work on at the table and sending out mailers, you know, uh, about our seeds. And uh, we did that, you know, as soon as you could, could, uh, fold a mailer or do something you were, you were involved in, in, in marketing, I guess you might say. Jordan, all that uh, sound familiar to you? Pretty similar to us. <laughs> yeah. We just make, we'd have to fold thousands of flyers and, you know, my wife's getting, doing the, doing the books and yeah, it's, it's a lot of good family memories of building the business, I think. And, you know, we were always close to each other and always, you know, I know the kids may not have wanted to do it all the time, but hey, it was it was always togetherness, it felt like. So trying to build it and get it going. But well, so. it's 
as you know, it, it takes a, an effort, a family effort. Everybody's got to support each other. And, and you know, in the beginning years, you know, it, you didn't have everything you, you needed to, to be a the perfect business. And so you overpowered it with hard work or just like some of the other folks that you uh, interviewed said, you know, if, if you get behind, you just work harder, you know, and, and uh, we worked so hard. I think that we, we just didn't have time to worry about anything, you know. Um, I mean, we just we just did what we had to do. And I know today, uh, you know, a lot of the employees, they take a lot of that for granted that we have nice trucks and we have a nice office and we have we have a lot of nice things. But it was because it took us 70 years to get there, you know, yeah. and uh, it don't it doesn't happen uh, in one day. Yeah, that's what I always tell our kids. I said we didn't come for any money. I remember my uh, when I'd have to go to work with my dad, I'd have to sit on a five gallon bucket because he didn't even have a. We didn't have a seat in one of the work vans, you know. He'd just be like, grab that bucket and sit on it now. <laughs> We'd drive an hour away to do a job. And I'm like, my goodness, you know, today's world, I, kids wouldn't know what to do with that. But. That would be called child abuse today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No seatbelts, <laughs> no, seat belts, no nothing, right? So too funny. But yeah, what, else was, uh, what was one of your biggest obstacles? I mean, you've been with, like, uh, the company almost 50 years. That's all. You guys had a fire at one point. What, what was, like, one of the – Biggest obstacles you guys had to overcome over, or you personally, the last 50 years? Well, I, definitely the fire uh, in 1985 we had. It was August 10th, 1985. So uh, basically the day uh, today, uh, the day we're filming this uh, is when it happened. It, and it was on a Sunday morning. And our whole family was scheduled. We just bought a pontoon boat. and We were going to go out on the pontoon boat. And then we got the call at like 4 o'clock in the morning that we had a fire. And it was caused by lightning in our office. It burned our office basically down to the ground. And there's an empty feeling there when that happens because you go, well, what about the records? What about this? What about that? But fortunately, uh, we had a good computer system. We had it backed up in a, in a fireproof, heatproof vault, and we never lost any of our records. The only thing we lost was the physical facilities. So we moved to Fort Madison for a couple days uh, to our fertilizer plant. Uh, to keep the business going. And then we moved a couple construction trailers in and we packed everybody into a construction trailer. Everybody was elbow to elbow. <laughs> and uh, the phone company got us a new phone system up immediately. IBM, uh, we got the first computer off the assembly line because it was an emergency and we were back up in just a few days. Didn't affect our production uh, facility. So we were able to continue to produce. And then as we got back into our new office, the office we're in right now in December. So that was August. And, and right before Christmas, we moved into the new office. And that and um, uh, actually, when we look back, we say it was a positive thing because uh, our old office kind of leaked a little water in the roof a little bit. And we got all new equipment and uh, we got a nice, comfortable building. So uh, it turned out OK. And I, and I think um, the lesson learned there is uh, that um, you know, something good always comes out of something bad. My my dad had a tornado on the farm, so we've had a fire. We have not had a flood yet. Okay, so, but that's all part of business. Um, uh, so uh, uh, you got to have contingency plans. You got to have good systems in place. So, um, like even today, the last person that leaves our office, they must close every door in the office because that becomes a fireproof barrier. And so after all these years, we still practice some of the things that we learned from that fire because any door that was closed, basically a lot of that that uh, physical 
things were protected. But it turned out okay. And as, as far as me personally, I think the biggest change we had was, you know, we went from the certified model to the private line soybeans. We started private line soybeans in 1971. We we're as early as anybody out there. And uh, making that transition, we made transitions from 60 pound bags. It was a bushel was certified to 50 pounds. And there was a lot of a lot of farmers didn't like the 50 pound bag. And then we made the transition to 140,000 seeds. So anytime you make changes, you know, there's always a, a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a little bit of tension. And, and I never understood that because uh, we like change. But I, I finally ran across a speaker that said change in a in a human's brain affects is hits the same spot as the spot when somebody says i'm going to kill you so in other words it's that scary but if you take the time to tell them why so anytime we make changes we always take the time to explain why to our customers and to our employees and then the change is not so scary but uh i i, I would say that when the major uh, brands, the big seed companies came into the soybean industry. You know, when we used to sell against uh, uh, DeKalb, they didn't have soybeans. But then when they became DeKalb Asgrow, uh, we had to deal with that. And then also, same thing with Pioneer. Pioneer didn't sell soybeans for a long time. And then when they did, we had we had to deal with that. And uh, the, the, the bundling that goes on, we're not a chemical company, so we can't bundle chemicals. So we have to make it strictly on seed. So we're always fighting some type of competitor that uh, doesn't understand the value of seed and is willing to make seed a loss leader to get either their chemical business or their fertilizer business or something else. And I think farmers, for the most part, don't like to be forced into buying 100% from one company. They're independent too. They like the ability to to uh, pick and choose what's best for them. So the bundling, the changing of the of the landscape with bigger and bigger companies, um, that's been a big challenge. And I, I can tell you that there's been some positive things too from some of the big companies. When Monsanto came in uh, with Roundup Ready Soybeans, it, it changed things tremendously for farmers and for seed companies. The 1996 is when... Uh, we started selling Roundup Ready soybeans. And the first year, I can never forget when we were trying to grow seed production, the farmer said, I got to pay a $5 tech fee. There's no way I'm going to pay a $5 tech fee. That's crazy. The following year, they were begging to raise them because the system worked so good. Uh, so the same farmers that didn't want to pay the tech fee were more than happy. To. I actually had this one conservative farmer in West Point make this statement. He says, I get up in the morning, I look at my field when I'm drinking coffee at my breakfast table, it's harvest time. And he says, Joe, he says, those Roundup Ready soybeans look so good, I almost hate to harvest them. And I never forgot that because this guy, <clears throat> this guy still has his first penny. So that was the highest compliment. I remember telling Monsanto about that. I said, your beans are so clean, they look so good. Uh, that trait uh, makes it so the farmers don't even want to harvest them, they just want to look at them. So they did a lot to protect germplasm in the industry, and that spurred a lot of investment. I know farmers don't like paying extra costs, but the amount of money that companies spend on research just keeps making the yields go up and up and up. And without that major change, I think it would have been harder for us to get where we're at today.
What what do you what have you seen on the finance side? I know when I went out and spoke for many different fertilizer companies and places, they said, you know, Kev, we're we're really in the finance business now more than we've ever been in our life. And has that changed dramatically since your dad, you know, since you guys started up and um that being yeah. different? It, it has changed some. Um, and, and I think, you know, we use John Deere Finance to to do a lot of and then buy that interest rate down to make it very competitive for farmers. And so farmers can get zero percent financing for for giving up a little bit of their cash discount. And you're exactly right. Um, more input financing is being done by companies and they're using, you know, robo or or, or John Deere financing or some companies even do it internal. And the reason why is because it frees up their capital to invest in equipment and buildings and whatever out rent and all the other things, land, all that stuff. Uh, and I expect this year it's going to be a pretty big deal because uh, interest rates are a lot higher now than they have in the past. In the past, you know, interest rates were really not a big deal, but now it's starting to become a bigger line item on the on the balance sheet. So I expect some farmers are going to be managing their cash with more input financing. We're all set up to do that. But um, um, for the most part, you know, our customers that we deal with are, are good business managers. We went through the 80s. And I can tell you, if you went through the 80s, you learned a lot. I learned way more than I learned in college because uh, no matter what you did in the 80s, it seemed to be the wrong thing. And just trying to survive. I, I, I know our company was just an eyelash away uh, from not making it in the 80s. But we we survived it. We learned a lot of lessons, and, and um, um, that's made us a better company. We're, we're much more conservative with our cash. Um, we do not try to overextend ourselves, grow too fast. Um, it's just the way we structure our business. And I I, I can say the '80s for my my uh, brother Henry and my brother-in-law was involved during that time too as a controller. Um, made us all better business people. And I know it's done the same thing for farmers. As you talk to the farmers that went through the 80s and you know when, when folks are saying, oh my gosh, interest rates are six, 7%. And we kind of chuckle a little bit because I think my first house loan was like 13 or 14 in 1980. So um, there's still a lot to learn and it seems like we continue to learn, but those are things that really left a mark on me that affect my management style today. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. Jordan? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the, um, you were talking a little bit earlier about how people want things now. I wanted to ask you about your like new Mershman Delivers app. How How's that going for you guys? Well, it's going well, and we're continuing to try to improve it. Um, uh, I can tell you it was a big endeavor to do it, and uh, we're going to continue to improve it. But one of the things we know that, we understand in, in business, in farming, that time and money are interchangeable. You want it fast, you'll pay more. If you got plenty of time, you'll pay less. So that's why seed companies go out so early and try to sell seed early is because they want to give the farmer a better buy. I always tell farmers, the only reason you wait to buy your seed is because you want to pay more. But the Mershman Delivery app, what we were trying to do with that and what we have been doing is that when our truck leaves the dock, it notifies the customer. And it's just like Uber, they can see the truck coming down the road to their, to their uh, farm or to their business, and they can plan their day. Yes, we made an appointment. Yes, we call them, call them ahead of time, uh, an hour out if it's far away. We let them know exactly when we're going to be there 
but we also have an app that you, on your phone that, phone that you can see it coming to your to your actual business. So you know, like, oh, it's going to be here in 10 minutes, so I better wrap up what I'm doing and get over to the seed shed and get the forklift ready and, and be ready when he comes. So it saves the customer time and also saves our truck driver's time too. So, again, we deliver all our seed with our own trucks. Uh, so, you know, our drivers, uh, we think that's a, a positive experience. And one of the things that I focus on is I think about every touch point that we have with the customers, whether anybody from answering the phone, if you call our office, we are instructed that everyone's instructed, try to get it on the first ring, try to get it on the first ring. Now, um, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but that's our goal. First ring, make sure that we are pleasant. And, and anytime a customer touches one of our people, we want it to be a positive experience. And we're very fortunate here. We have extremely low turnover in our office. I mean, person that does all the Cindy and does uh, most of our billing and, and, and handles that all whole part. She's she's been here going on almost 40 years. So I'm just saying we know our customers by their voice. We know them by their voice. When they call in, they don't have to tell us who they are. Obviously, we got caller ID, too. We can cheat a little bit, but we do know their voice. They don't have to say who they are. And that's the kind of relationship we try to have with our customers. But the Mershman delivers the whole concept behind that was to save time for the customer and also time for our trucks so they can get down to the next place. I like it. And we're going to continue yeah. to improve it. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea. I like that. It's Better than the cable cable company and the uh, telephone company when they say, sometime today I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be there between <laughs> noon and four. That's, and they that's like the biggest thing I'm saying, like, what what's the like biggest success on that front just having good drivers and you guys have drivers in house because i'm starting to get to where i'm dealing with trucking and it's just a complete nightmare like <laughs> the timing is just brutal yeah we well first of all we have our own logistics program that we developed um that basically when we put a load together we know exactly what's on the load from the from the seed side as far as uh as far as weights and everything of all the different bags that we put on a load we have a real-time inventory management system that we developed so that when a customer orders something that seeds reserved by barcode and we cannot ship that to anybody but that customer so we've invested a lot in our like i said trying to be the best distribution company so we have barcodes and we have a logistics program and then when it gets back to drivers they're worth their weight in gold. And we have we have the nicest trucks that money can buy to keep them happy because we know that a happy truck driver is going to keep a customer happy. So over the years, we keep improving our trucks, nicer creature features, and even our small trucks. We have a, a fleet of small trucks, uh, 300 bags uh, trucks that are what we call the fire truck delivery trucks for somebody that runs out and needs more seed quickly. They're, they're nice trucks, and we take really good care of them. Our trucks are never dirty. We wash them every day if they need to be washed. We have uh, three locations to uh, wash our trucks, uh, and uh, basically a trailer, when it comes back in, it's washed before it puts it's put back into the dock. Each truck driver has his own trailers, and, and we call them their trailers. Nobody else can pull that trailer but them, so he knows where every little nick, scratch, and everything in that trailer is, so... They take ownership and the same thing with their trucks. They're the only ones that drive the truck. We don't let anybody else drive that truck because of the fact that they take ownership and they act like it's theirs. And, then, and for all practical purposes, it is. 
So we have longevity with our truck drivers too. We take really good care of them and we have good facilities. And, we, and that didn't happen overnight. It was built over time. But I know one of the things we get comments are is your trucks are always clean. And that's a conscientious effort by our truck drivers. And I don't know if you ever heard the story about Hayden Fry, the former Iowa coach that kind of brought Iowa back into prominence uh, from uh, where it was uh, back in the 60s and uh, early 70s. But he would always find a player that would be his bell cow. And the bell cow employee, or in this case, football player, would be the one that sets the standard that everyone would follow. And we have bell cow employees. We have an employee. We have one employee that just keeps his truck meticulously clean. So when it's parked in the building, everybody looks at their truck and they look at his truck. They go, oh, I better wash my truck because it's not as good as Jim's. So uh, there's just a lot of little things that make up a business. And we think delivery is a big part. We probably overspend, adds a little bit more to our costs. But we think it helps our customers because we're on time. Product's not going to be broken. It's going to be there. And if there is a problem, you'll call to the office and immediately solve it right there in the field. So immersion delivers is one of the things that we think helped. And, and, and we think our trucks are one of our one of our pluses. We're not using the low bidder. In other words, we're we're doing something, the same thing every day. We bring the pallets to the back of the truck. We have we have these uh, lightweight uh, fork trucks that have little battery packs on them, uh, little uh, pallet jacks. So we can get them to the back and get out get out of that farmer's or dealer's uh, lot as fast as we can. So that's a good question, and we're real proud of our trucks. If you see one on the road, you'll notice it. Hey, hey Jordan, sounds familiar again. The little things matter. The, the little things are just so vitally important. I tell Jordan, so when I worked for the NFL and I had a bunch of buddies, I had several buddies that were oh, scouts at some MLB teams and I tell the kids, it matters how you wear your hat, Joe. It matters how your shirt's tucked in. It matters how you got your belt on. And they'd all be like, what are you talking about? I said, no, I'm telling you, like, you're going to meet people that are just as good as you, but it's going to come down to the little things. And when I got to Chicago uh, in the trading world, uh, I was in the boardroom and they were talking about hiring some new kids. And they said, yeah, well, what you do is you set them up and uh, you invite them to a lunch and then tell them, you take a card and say, hey, my car's you know, my car's parked in a certain spot. Well, let's just take yours today. And the reason they would take and we'd do that is because we wanted to see how clean their car was because the head guy, the, the one of the good old boys that had been there forever, he's like, now how people do anything is how they do everything. And he's like, all you got to do is just look in that car and see if it's a mess and see if the car's a mess. And then he'd be like, we're not hiring him. And I always tell because kids would come work for me and I'd get in their car like, Dang, your car's a mess. You can't let it be that way. You know, I, I'm just like, but kids, you know, I don't know. A lot of people didn't get those lessons that probably you and I had. And, you know, you're, you're exactly right. When we hire a new salesperson, we always have somebody walk out into the parking lot and look at his car. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the things that we check off. If he's got a nice, clean car, he passed that test. Yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, as far as our rule of thumb here is when we meet the customer, we must be dressed one one step over him. So we wear khaki pants and red shirt, just like I'm wearing today. And that's a requirement. And, uh, and, uh, and when we would hire salespeople, they go, well, you can't wear blue jeans? I said, no, you don't wear blue jeans. You wear khaki pants. You are a professional salesperson. You know, and uh, we expect you to wear that. And I said, besides, 
uh, khakis are cheaper than blue jeans. So, you know, if you <laughs> exactly, so you might, you might as well look the part. So we work very hard on our dress and even our truck drivers, same way. Um, they, they work very hard on their dress too. So everything you just said, we'll second that motion. <laughs> I hear you, buddy. I hear you. So, you know. yeah, I was, uh, how's the, uh, cup of Joe podcast been going? That, that seems like something that not a lot of independent seed people are doing and, Seems like you guys religiously send it out. So, well, I got to give a lot of credit to our people. Uh, you know, I told you that Alex uh, is our videographer, my nephew, and he went to a video, you know, uh, uh, art school that focused on all that stuff. And so he's really good at editing, and he can handle all that. So when when he came to work for us, we said one of our salesmen said. You know, we need to do Cup of Joe, you know, name a little bit after me, but also first thing in the morning type thing. So we started it. And uh, and if you looked at our first episode, you'd probably laugh because of the fact that it was done a little bit rough. But uh, we keep working on the production and um, we do it every week. And we find it is a way to transmit the personality of our company to our customers, like like having a conversation uh, with customers. So um, we do that every day and we talk about things from Nebraska to Indiana and Minnesota to, to Arkansas and, and uh, we bring on guests. Uh, and so, yeah, we work very hard at it. Um, but uh, we, we just kind of every week we go up today, we'll say, okay, what are some of the things that are important? Now, we'll have scheduled guests, but for the most part, we gather up what we've heard all week, what we've learned, and then we transmit it out to customers and dealers and farmers. So it, we enjoy doing it. And I don't know if you know that, but at the end of the Cup of Joe, we always do a corny joke. And that's my department, okay? And you might say, why do we do a corny joke? And it's, and well, it's because I believe that seed companies invented the corny joke. The corny joke goes back, if you look at the history of it, to the Midwest because of corn, number one. But there was a seed company back in the day, I assume sometime after the turn of the century, early 1900s, they put a garden seed catalog out. And the garden, and as you look at garden seed catalogs, you know, back then they were mainly text. And, and you know, not very many. If there was a picture, it was a drawing. So they had to figure out a way to get the guy to turn the page. So what they did was they put a corny joke on each page to get the guy, no matter what, at least to look at the corny joke and hopefully he'd see some seeds and maybe buy some seeds. So we incorporated that into Cup of Joe because I, I, uh, the seed industry, I'm claiming, invented uh, the corny joke and uh, and perfected it. So uh, um you know, again, another little fact that most people don't know, but that's why we do it. And we kind of have fun with that at the end. I get customers that will tell me they stunk and I get customers that will send me a good one. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's just a, a have fun type thing, you know, because yeah. for the most part, business is pretty serious and pretty intense. And, and it's a way to lighten up things a little bit. Sure. And then we hopefully will watch to the end. But of course, today you can speed it up and just go right <laughs> to the corny joke if you want. But that was the same concept that we have with the uh, with the, the garden seed catalogs back in the back in the day. Yeah, for sure, that's a good deal. Yeah, it's similar to you with your riddles every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, my yeah. dad on his newsletter, he's 
Got to got to yeah. riddle every day in his newsletter, and we probably get more replies on the riddle than anything else. <laughs> well, it's a connection point. It's a connection yeah. point, you know. And and like we were saying at the beginning, you know, the seed business more than any other business, there's a high level of trust. In other words, I've always said, you know, the seed that a farmer buys, he can't change. Once he plants that seed, he can't change it. You can change chemical programs. You can change fertility programs. You can change a lot of things after you plant, but you can't change the seed. So consequently, the farmer is trusting that you have a product that will perform. And if that product doesn't perform, he may not be able to take that vacation he planned that next summer with his family. He may not be able to update the kitchen like his wife wants to do. He may not be able to trade tractors or combines. So the seed, and that's that's the scary part for farmers to try something new, is the fact that will it perform? And that connection point with your riddle and with our joke, those are ways that we can build trust with our customers and, and, and that connection. And then once you have that connection, there's just so many things you can go. And we deal with a lot of the same suppliers that we've dealt with for years. We call them up. We tell them what we want. We don't have to ask a price. We know they're going to treat us right. And we can go so much faster when we have that trust between companies. We have the same electrician. We have the same uh, car dealership. We, I mean, everything we do, we, we stay the same and we try to deal with people we trust. And I think it's the same way in the seed business. So for companies to try to get new business, that's why it's so hard. I mean, it's so hard to get somebody to say, well, you know, uh, Pioneer or DeKalb or Asgro or whoever it is, Sejena, you know, they've been taking care of me really well. How could you possibly be better? And so then that's the hard part. Yeah. I think too, Joe, there's not a lot, I, and maybe it's crazy me to think that, but it seems like as our clients or our customers get younger, there's not as much loyalty, you know I mean? Because they're used to buying things, just they don't have as much personal interaction. They text people, they do, th you know, and it's like, they just don't seem to have as much loyalty as say my grandpa had and then my dad had, and then they pass that down. To, you know, it's like, it's just kind of, so that's going to be tough. You know, that that's going to be hard too. Like you said, you're going to have to really deliver. Yep. You're exactly right. Uh, my dad said that many times. The biggest change he saw in his lifetime was customer loyalty has changed. And, and it's just because we're in an extremely competitive environment. I mean, farmers are work on thin margins. You know, I've seen Iowa state uh, graphs where they show average production costs, an average selling price. It's break-even. Farming is break-even. As long as it's been been recorded, it's break-even. So for you to be above the break-even line, you got to be a better manager. And uh, consequently, that's the challenge farmers have. So we try to fit in there to try to help them get above that line because at the end of the day, um, they're in the same boat as us. We have, to, we have to generate gross profit to pay the bills. And we hope there's a little bit left over so we can invest in our business to grow it and make it better. And farmers are, I love working with farmers because they're good people. They are so much fun to work with. I mean, um, you know, it's just, there's just so many things that we take for granted in the agriculture business. Um, one of the best stories I can tell you, I went out to California a few years ago and my wife and I, when we, when we drive, it, it's not usually pleasant, even though we got GPS you know, it's always a little stress, particularly when we're driving in a big city. So we decided we would find a, a small company that had a 
minivan and they had a driver and they would drive us around. So the there's four of us and we went in the minivan and, and they'd take us anywhere we wanted to go. We said, well, we want to go to the Chinese theater in Hollywood, you know. So we went there and the guy was from Arkansas, even though he was doing the doing the driving and telling us where, you know, what to he and he looked me in the eye and said, Joe, now when you walk up there to the Chinese theater, don't talk to anybody that talks to you. If somebody talks to you, do not respond to them because they're trying to sell you something. They're trying to get your money. And I thought, wow, that's just the opposite of the Midwest. The Midwest, we always say hi to each other. We're not, we're just trying to be friendly. And sure enough, first guy we ran into, he's he says, Oh, how you doing? Here, have some of my music. It's free. And we just walked by. The guy behind me said, Oh, thanks. And he says, Can't you give me something for it? You know, I spent a lot of time making that CD. Couldn't you give me a little bit? And I, I learned a lesson between Midwest and the coast. I mean, so if, if I go out to the coast, I'm real reserved about saying hi to anybody or talking to anybody because I don't know if I can trust them. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. But, but the Midwest folks, farmers, don't have any problem talking to them. They're uh, good folks. And uh, I, I have so many mentors that were farmers that helped me in different ways. So many different, even other seed uh, company folks that were good mentors. It, it just very positive. I love this business. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, about, it's about all I had. Do you have any other questions, Dad? No, I mean, that's great. I shit, I probably learned a lot from Joe. I'd come up and sit in and listen. He's got a lot of great stories, like great mentor. I mean, yeah, you've, you've, you've uh, learned a lot, Joe, through the years. And I, I tip my hat. You guys have built a one heck of a business. So, Congrats. Well, we're, we're we're very blessed, and uh, we had we've had a lot of good employees. We still have a lot of good employees. We had a lot of people go through the doors that made marks, and it it's not no no organization is one person. It's it's a group of people, and uh, had good family members supported us when things were were not so good, and and uh, supported us when things were good. So we're very blessed. Right. Yeah. We appreciate it. We're blessed to uh, be a part of it with you here on this call and appreciate everything you guys do for folks. So thanks well, again. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, uh, it's been, we, we learn a lot from your organization too. Learn I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good good weekend. Thanks again. Take thanks care. Have a good See weekend. You